All right. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of the Where It Went podcast, uh, where we are discussing the entire Revelation Records catalog from release one to whatever they release next. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So today is uh, episode three, and we will be discussing the debut 7-inch by Sick of It All. Yeah, you know, this record, I enjoy this record a lot. Uh, One of the things that I like about it, which I also enjoyed about the Warzone 7-inch, is that there's fucking 10 songs on this record. Between the Warzone 7-inch, the Together Comp, and this record, there's just so much music. And I feel like that really is something that got lost over time. People, bands are putting out two songs, seven inches, three songs, seven inches, like I said before. And this is fucking 10 songs. That's like probably, <laughs> that's like half a set of Sick of It All. You know what I mean? They're, they're playing. If Sick of It All, Descendants, these bands, they're playing like fucking 20, 30 songs a night because they're so short and they're such industry pros that it's, they can play back to back to back. And uh, it's, it's just great that there's so much music like boom. Available. And not lose that, not lose that momentum either. Like yeah. they play, and it's like I, I wonder: are songs like it's not like hardcore songs have necessarily gotten longer? I mean, I guess some of them are longer than this. Sick of it all. There's like some songs like under a minute. Yeah, but it is like when you see like a two or three song seven inch, you're just like, yo, come on, man! Like, <laughs> give us give us more bang for the buck. Especially now, you know, seven inches are you know, more expensive than think about this. This was probably like, uh, what was it like three fifty postpaid yeah. and you're getting 10 songs. Like that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So buying it, I remember going to vinyl solution in Huntington beach and buying records for two eighty. you know, like the Indian summer seven inch was like $2 and 80 cents. And <laughs> a lot of these records were just completely under $5. And oh, now, easily. and now it's, you could pay for a brand new seven inch, postage paid like $15 a lot of times. I remember I had a friend that would get like, they would at the record store that in our near us called siren records that I may have mentioned before, they would have like, you know, the rare seven inches and they would be like $10. And I remember us being and like, he would buy like, like he was really into um like mud honey and the Melvins like when we were in middle school and then high school. So he would buy these rare seven inches for $10. And that like blew our minds. Can you believe that Pat spent $10 on a seven inch? Yeah. So that's why, like when you mentioned, like even back then, like these rare records being 50 to a hundred dollars, that just didn't compute for me. Somewhere along the line, I wound up with a copy of this record and I, from looking at all the pressing info, I believe that mine is a fourth press copy, which is still, you know, fairly old. The third press was in, I believe, 88, because the, the Gilman Street is, I think, considered third press. That means between 87, when this record came out, and 88, they had already pressed over 2000 copies. This is my, my belief. I, you know, I'm not an expert as we've said many, many times before. There's a lot of information about this record on the internet that you can find. 
So there's a blog called Seeking the Simple that's run by a guy called Kyle Whitlow. And there's a very extensive database of Revelation Records releases on there. He talks a lot about, there's a lot of photographs. He's got some Shinfo, which I'm a huge fan of. The Revelation Records website, if you just Google it, you can find the Rev Pressing info. I believe that Kevin Finn uh, had a lot to do with that. Man, if you ever somehow come across information given on Rev Records by Kevin Finn, I know that I saw a video one time where Larry Ransom, uh, Lake Effect Larry, who hopefully we'll get to talk to at some point on this podcast, was talking to Kevin Finn just about the Chain of Strength 7-inch, and it's like a fucking 10-minute video or something like that. So there's a lot more deep dive, nerdy, pressing stuff. But as we've said many times before, this podcast is not about all of the different pressings. I'm not going to talk about how many had the Batman stamp or the Liberty stamp or, you know, whatever. Um, The other thing about my copy, which I believe is fourth press, is it still has the New Haven, Connecticut address. So it'll be interesting as we progress in this podcast to know at what points that changes from Connecticut to California. My friend, little Chris, the other day was at a thrift store and found a burn seven inch with the New Haven address. So that's, you know, a few releases down the road. And so it'll be interesting to know exactly when it switches over from Connecticut to California. How might never find something like that at a thrift store? Right, ever. out in the wild? Like, that's some fucking luck right there. And, you know, I'm going to call him out right now because he didn't fucking buy it. He left it at the thrift store. Which How is, much was it? <laughs> I don't even want to say. 50 cents? <laughs> Nine bucks. Oh, my God. I mean, <laughs> I would have just gotten it even just as, like, even if he's not, like, to use it to trade or, or something. Yeah. I if it was the, in okay shape. I caught the text in the group chat too late and i i told him to get it for me for uh what did i say for uh research purposes so that that i could just have this stuff i know that you and i have slowly started collecting uh maybe not artifacts but we've actually been buying new copies a lot of a lot of these rev records like i went to rev last week and bought a new copy of the way it is comp me too. I didn't go to Rev. I bought it right. from a record store, but that that is still in print. So are uh, – actually, this Sick of It All 7-inch is the first thing we've done so far that is still not only in print, but you can stream it. Uh, mm. It's on um, you know, Spotify and Apple and all that. You know, Igby – at uh shout out to igby at bit bit at bow to igby at revelation records he's done a lot of work over the past couple years to get all of rev stuff up on Bandcamp, which i think is smart because Bandcamp tends to have the capability to give more of a revenue a steady revenue stream into uh the hands of the artists and i know that rev they they do they take care of you know, some of their older artists, I've watched him over the years, the, the, you know, recently put new rev or old, the old rev releases on Bandcamp. And I actually, when I was at rev last week, I bought, I also bought a copy of 
this sick of it all seven inch on blue vinyl. They didn't have the gold vinyl anymore. I missed out on that. Uh, but I know that the gold vinyl was available with the book and some new merch that came out. So, uh, Greg, you bought the book. Did you buy it from Rev or did you get it at Sirens? Um, I got I didn't get it from Siren. I got it from there was a pre-order from Generation Records before the Rev one. I probably would have rebought it from the you know from Revelation had I been able to get the uh, gold seven inch just because it's cool. Like I don't usually care about having multiple versions of a record, but like that would be neat. But um, with Generation Records, it uh, you get access to a, a Zoom chat. I guess the uh, Kohler brothers are going to talk about the book and I think that's next week. So I'm supposed to get some kind of, Oh, that's cool. Uh, so it's password. kind of like a, like a book reading that they would have, but because as we record this, we're still in the middle of a mostly societal lockdown due to the coronavirus pandemic. So that's cool that they're doing it via zoom because they can't have it in, you know, in person. I think that's actually a really cool and smart idea that yeah they're utilizing should do i agree and like the thing is is like you get a code they go on to zoom and you know it can have however many people i don't know what the capacity is for zoom but i'm, I'm i think it's fairly large um and uh people can just listen to them you know read and they can do it from the comfort of their own home like i know the Kohler brothers don't even live in the same state. So it works well for them too. Um, so, you know, talking about this record being in print, I guess we would be remiss if we didn't mention that the book is out. Uh, it's called the blood and the sweat, the story of sick of it all's Kohler brothers. It's a cool book. I just recently finished it about a week ago. It's a fast read. Um, you know, it's done like oral history style where it's, you know, mostly Lou and Pete, but there's interjections from family, from, you know, Armand, Craig, people from other bands, stuff like that. Uh, and the foreword was written by Chris Caraba, AKA dashboard confessional. So you know, that's kind of neat. It's interesting how that name has been popping up in my feed, my life a lot more lately. I know that our, our dear friend Porcel, sent him a book uh, recently about Radhanath Swami. And that, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool uh, that that dashboard confessional still has his hand in, you know, the, the world of hardcore in 2020. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a really, it's a nice forward too. like, he just kind of writes talking about his, uh, you know, personal experience with sick of it all. Um, which I think a lot of people, really connect with sick of it all. Like, especially people from, I think our era and then before us, um, it's almost weird that this seven inch is on revelation because I don't really think of them as a revelation band. And that's not a slight to revelation. It's not a slight to sick of it all. It's just that you sort of forget that they had the involvement. So it is cool that like Javier said, they have the, seven inch still in print, but they also have some limited merch uh, with photo outtakes from the seven inch session taken by uh, you know legendary photographer, uh, BJ Pappas. There's some really cool shots. Uh, I think they have 
a, a long sleeve shirt. They have two different short sleeve shirts. They have um, a hoodie that doesn't have the photograph. It's a different design, but it's pretty cool. It's all up on Rev HQ, and I think the pre-orders for that end actually well by the time this is out i think they'll still be up for a couple of days so yeah merch, definitely check it out merch frenzy in effect merch uh, frenzy for sure and i've noticed on on the band's social media recently we're recording this august august 2nd 2020 that they've been sharing a lot of those outtakes from the photography session with the fisheye from bj Pappas. if you look through the different covers or the different pressings of the seven inch and the different labels. Some of them are cropped differently. You know, some of the, the black shading is a little bit different. If you have the record aficionado volume two book, which Greg and I both have, there's a lot of those uh, photographs available to look at. And it's really cool to see how things kind of shifted over the years and over the pressings and how iconic that alleyway photograph is with the four of them standing there. You know, they look like I wouldn't want to fuck with these guys, but at the same time, it also looks like maybe you could just go around the corner and they'd either, you know, punch you or buy you a slice of pizza. Like (laughs) they look nice, but yet somehow still tough. New York. This is just New York City to me. Yeah, some nice young gentlemen. It's totally a new New York. Like yeah. this. This isn't going to be, you know, this a photo shot like this isn't going to be on a West Coast hardcore record. I it's noticed just, it, that this record was recorded. Now, being from California and not from the East Coast or New York at all, I'm going to totally butcher this word that it says it was recorded at Legend Studios in East Setauket, New York. Setauket? Setauket? I, I, I'm, man, I, I, cannot, I cannot figure out these New York names. So I've never heard of this. It, it wasn't recorded by Don Fury. It wasn't recorded in the city. Uh, I don't know if the members of Sick of It All are from, maybe, you know, is this Long Island? You know, what up? I do know, thanks to the book. <laughs> um, <laughs> so in, in the, um, the Sick of It All book that just came out, they talk about how when they went to, you know, let me digress a little. Lou talks about how they signed to Revelation. Do we even say sign? Like, I guess were they signing contract? I mean, for lack of a better yeah, term, we'll say, say sign. It's fine, yeah. Okay. He says, you know, uh, I'll, I'll just read from it. So here's a quote. He says, eventually we were asked to do the seven inch for revelation. I remember exactly when they asked. I was standing on the steps outside the anthrax and Ray Capo and Jordan Cooper approached me saying, we want to do a sick of it all seven inch. And I was like, uh, all right. And that, that was, that was it. So for the studio, um, you know, they were really excited because they had a demo. So sick of it all had a demo tape in 1986 um, seven inch came out in 87. So he, you know, Lou talks about how they were super excited to record cause it's going to be their first real record. And then it hits him. And he's like, I don't know what to do in the studio. I don't know how to, you know, record vocals. So they ask Armand, they say, what's, what's that cheap place on long Island where rest in peace is recorded. 
So Lou at the time of the book says he didn't even remember the name. The guy was not a hardcore guy, which that happened a lot back yeah, then. That's pretty common. And I, I think that had a, a lot to do with how a lot of recordings came out in the 80s and 90s because now you can get recorded by a hardcore kid, mastered by a hardcore kid. The record label is all run by hardcore kids. And I know this from personal experience, you know, working with Will from Dead Air Studios or from Brad Boatwright or whatever, uh, Kurt Ballou, all these people who were involved in the recording and mastering process. But back then, even the first time I went to a studio, it was a Christian studio in Orange County. Uh, and they didn't have any real idea of what the crunch was supposed to sound like or maybe the vocals. So I'm wondering how much of that played into the way that a lot of these early sounds came out. So he said that when they recorded, <laughs> the guy was the engineer, you know, would basically be like, whoa, you got to calm down. You know, you can't sing like this. So he uh, is not happy with uh, his performance on that record, um, which I love the record, but we've all, you know, anyone who's done a band knows that like sometimes you can be your own worst critic. And because, you know, you're going to interject personal experience into what was going on at the time. uh, And that's going to kind of inform the way you look at it. One of the things I thought was cool about this record, well, about Sick of It All, was one of the things that really got their name out there was Pusshead. Thrasher, you know, skateboarding magazine used to do small pieces on, you know, hardcore and punk. Yeah, and the Puss Zone. Yes, the Puss Zone. So he reviewed, it says in the book, the Together compilation, but then it talks about two songs. So I'm wondering if they meant the way it, the way is. it is. And Pusshead said something to the effect of like, you know, this is a great comp, but Sick of It All steals the show with theirs two songs. And then that, you know, that got them a lot of people, got a lot of people into aggressive music to check them out. Yeah, you know, again, as I've said in one of the previous episodes, I first came across Sick of It All from that, well, first really started paying attention to Sick of It All from that in effect hardcore 92 live show. And the things that they say in the interviews, they sounded so serious about hardcore and it was such a a thing and then watching the performance and how tight it was how energetic it was they're all jumping around stage diving and i was like this is bigger than anything that i've seen before at the time 93 94 i had been going to shows maybe where there's like 200 people 400 people but that show at the ritz with Agnostic Front and Gorilla Biscuits, there's just so many people there. And it just was such like a a spectacle. And uh, if you've never seen that, I would urge you to really track that down on YouTube or even find a VHS copy and watch the whole thing. But it really is uh, some special footage that it's just so cool to see that hardcore was like that, is like that, and hopefully will continue to be like that in the future. Yeah, they, I mean, Sick of It All is a band that, I, I, I don't want to say they transcended hardcore, but they kind of did, where they they didn't compromise. They didn't, like, regardless of what people think about their newer records, 
they're still hardcore records. Um, doesn't mean you have to like them. Uh, I'll full stop say that like I on almost any sick of it all release that comes out, there's uh, to use that phrase, there's always a couple tracks, you know, there's some, some hot songs tracks. That are good. I only usually reach for the first few releases when I want to listen to them, but it's just cause I have spent so much time with those and that's what got me into the band, you know, but you see them playing, like you said, that in effect video. And then uh, they had actually shared a clip of them playing Dynamo Festival overseas. In yeah, that was huge. 94, 95. Yeah. Massive. And this actually leads into my next point is I'd always wondered why didn't they do the full length on Revelation? Like why wasn't Blood, Sweat, and No Tears – well, like a, a rev release. It, that's on in effect, right? Yes. Well, the and book so, the book answers that. So I think that it's because in effect, did they have something to do with Caroline? And so maybe there was more distribution. And since this was only the third rev release, and they had only done seven inches so far, maybe they figured, oh well, let's go with this other label that has fucking compact discs, which back then was probably cutting edge technology and cassettes and they could get into more hands and then the shows could get bigger. They could start getting more of a worldwide audience. But what does the book say? The book says they had talked to revelation about doing it, but revelation um, was working on the gorilla biscuits LP. And they basically told them, we can do your record, but you got to wait a year and sick of it all. Basically, you know, anyone who's been in a band knows that you don't, you know, you don't want to wait a year. Um, a lot can happen in a year. I mean, crap, look, look at the situation we're in right now where there's not even shows. Like imagine if somebody had waited a year to release their record and instead put it out in March of this year instead of March of last year. They wouldn't have been able to tour on it and promote it. So I know uh, a friend of ours, Chris, he had – so bid at Bo to Chris. Bid at Bo, Chris Wyatt. <laughs> he had asked kind of a general question out to the uh, people that had read the book because he didn't want to spoil it. So I guess we did we didn't put spoiler alert, but that's okay. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> what what do we think would have happened had they done the LP on Revelation? Now I have my theories of what I think would have happened, but I'm curious what you think. So let's say and and take the waiting a year out of the equation. Let's just say Blood, Sweat, and No Tears comes out whenever it's supposed to, and it comes out on Revelation. I'm I'm still not convinced that Rev would have had the distribution or the capability to put it out on different formats that in effect offered them. And if you see the trajectory of bands, and I know a lot of factors play into this from, you know, the band's desires to opportunities. But if you look at bands like Biohazard and some of those mid nineties, New York hardcore adjacent bands that sick of it all kind of, like mirrored their trajectory in a way, especially when you mentioned playing Dynamo, playing some of these bigger festivals. Uh, and then you don't see the Rev bands doing that at the time. You don't see Judge, Gorilla Biscuits, Youth of Today playing these big European festivals and doing world tours. 
but you do see sick of it all doing that stuff. So I think maybe going more towards in effect towards, I don't want to say major label, but a little bit more of a well-established and maybe uh, bigger label than Rev at the time. That's what allowed sick of it all to really make this their, their full-time job, their lifelong ambition. I mean, in California from 94 to 98, sick of it all would come through like twice a year. Whereas all of the other New York hardcore bands were already gone by that time and sick of it all, you know, they, they stayed the course. Yeah, that, that was going to be my, my take too, is that it would have been cool if it, see, I feel like had, had the LP come out on revelation, I probably would have gotten into them even more, even faster just because I was so into just anything, especially from that period that was on Revelation. But the fact of the matter is, is what you're saying is correct. I think had they done the album on Revelation, like it would have done well, but I don't think they would have went on that tour with Exodus. And then that tour, you know, they toured with Exodus and then they got to tour with, I think, DRI. It talks about in the book. And then they toured with Slayer. Yeah, I fucking saw Sep- I saw a sick of it all with Slayer and Meshuga, you know, in like 90... 90- eight or something like that. And it was fucking wild. Yeah. And like they toured with, um, Sepultura. Yeah. And I don't think stuff like that would have happened for revelation. Now, the funny thing is, is that in effect was a new label at the time actually. Mm. Uh, but it was, I think their case too, was that it was run by friends of theirs. Um, Howie Abrams being one and how he helped them with the book and a bit of bow, Howie Abrams and in effect, um, I think they made the right choice. It caused some controversy. I think everyone knows about the the born against sick of it all debate. Well, it's interesting. Like, I'm right now I'm currently as I'm recording this, I'm actually in Big Bear, California, which is a, a town on a lake in the mountains of Southern California, and a little bit of Shinfo, New Age Records was actually stationed here in Big Bear. So maybe when we're done with the Revelation uh podcast, we could do a New Age Records podcast you know in five years but (laughs) i'm currently reading the sam mcfeeters book that just came out earlier this year it's called mutations and there's a whole chapter that i haven't gone to yet but the sick of it all born against debate is covered in that book and i remember tracking down mp3 of the that debate and just thinking it was like the wildest thing. And I grew up heavy into ebullition, vermiform. I was fucking team born against Rorschach, Econochrist, all that stuff. I was super heavy into it. So I was of the impression that, you know, barcodes are the devil and all these big business is not good for hardcore. As a youth, I I was on, on that side of the fence. So yeah, it's interesting to to think back to a time when people cared a lot about how big the label is that was putting out a hardcore record. Yeah. And, and it doesn't, it doesn't really happen as much anymore. Um, I, you know, the, the, that debate too, I think as an adult now, I, especially, I really see sick of it all's side of it, you know, where they wanted to do it, but they didn't want to work 
crappy jobs. Like they had to work all these like crappy, you know, manual labor or just like jobs and do the band. You know, they talked about in the early days of the band, you get home from the show and we've all had to do this. You get home from the show, you unload the equipment from the van. It's Monday morning at four o'clock in the morning. You go home, maybe sleep for two hours, get up, go to work, work all week. They didn't want to do that. So, you know, they, they went with in effect and, they ended up making a career where this is what they do for a living, but they haven't compromised anything. They've done it all, you know, very organically and built up a fan base and especially overseas, they're still playing to giant crowds. You know, here, I feel like they're unique to revelation in a lot of ways. Another being that they were around then they never broke up and they, they're not now doing like a, a reunion run, which a lot of these other bands are doing and they, draw big crowds and stuff. And I feel like sometimes sick of it all is almost taken for granted. Like people are just like, well, they're always here. Yeah. One of the and hardest working of all time right here is sick of easily, it all. Yeah. Easily. And I feel like, you know, they need to get, they need to get some more recognition for that. Hopefully this book uh, helps people gives, gives a lot of good insight into uh, the band and, you know, what they were thinking at the time and, and all that. Cause they also with revelation, especially in the early days, they got lumped in with like straight edge and stuff and they weren't straight edge, you know, they weren't crazy drug users or anything, but they weren't straight edge. And I think, especially at that time, you know, now we know knowing the history of revelation, one of the big reasons that we're doing this podcast is they actually have a very varied roster but I think early on, it was very just hardcore. Yeah, uh, and New like, York hardcore. Yeah, but like it, New York hardcore and New York straight edge hardcore. Really. Yeah. Diving into one of the, the pressings of this, the third press, the Gilman sleeve, which I, I owned somewhere along the way. And it's marked by a stamp inside the cover. So it's a cardboard cover. Inside, there's a stamp that says Gilman Street Pressing, and it's got a date of June 26th, 1988. So not too long ago. Uh, and there was 300 of them. And then each one of them was individually stamped. And I always thought growing up, because Gilman was a famous venue in Oakland. Oakland? Berkeley? I don't know. Somewhere in the in the Northern California. I think it's a Berkeley address, if I'm not mistaken. And so I thought that this because it was Gilman pressing, I thought that it was like a record release show or a special event that happened at Gilman. But I figured it would have, that's what it was too. I mean, I, yeah. So I, I actually eventually found out that there was a Gilman record swap meet that happened, eh, you know, fairly regularly. And for whatever reason, they made up a pressing to be sold at that record swap. Now, I don't understand how, why. I couldn't find any information about why they just decided to, you know, make 300 of the special cover to be sold there. So if anyone has that information, hit us up on Instagram or uh, email and maybe we'll, we'll be able to touch on that. But that kind of goes along with all of the weird, wacky, I don't want to say gimmicks, but you know, the things that go along with Rev 
pressings like the Batman stamp and the Liberty stamp and the different labels. And it's, it can be maddening trying to get a complete collection of any Revelation Records release and, you know, bit of bow to anybody who posts pictures on Instagram of an entire uh, collection of any of these records because that's time, money, blood, sweat, tears that can go into uh, attaining this stuff. Yeah, and they they said it was still very DIY. You know, they got the records. They had to, I believe they say they had to glue them themselves. Um, and they would, Pete Kohler talks about how um, he was just so excited to be on a piece of music, like a piece of vinyl, right? And he said he would just like stare at the pile of the records and like, Again, anyone who's been in a band, especially your first band, you know that feeling when you had like that, you know, batch of fresh demo tapes or whatever. You're like, you feel really accomplished. Um, and they definitely should have felt, you know, accomplished on on this record. Um, it's you know, all hits. Oh, know? yeah. All bangers. I mean, friends like you push too far pay the price and then the opening the opening of this record it's clobbering time with the bass that bass line is just so like iconic and un, it's just so recognizable and you know that you're you're gonna start moshing as soon as that comes in oh yeah oh yeah i mean and they they actually did a record maybe about 10 years ago now called Nonstop where they re-recorded a lot of the older stuff. Um, and they took another photo of them in this pose on the front, the, but just now. Um, I'm not usually huge into re-recordings, but it's definitely kind of cool. It's like a, you know, a greatest hits of Sick of It All. Um, and it has, a, you know, obviously a really nice recording to it. Um, yeah, sometimes bands will do that to get out of contracts with record labels that they're not super into. They'll do a live record or a best of record or re-recordings. And same with me, like I'm not usually into, I, I hear a version of it and I got used to that version, especially like a seven inch version or an older version. And then when a re-recording comes out and maybe it's a little more polished or a little slicker, I don't usually like it, but it was sick of it all. It works because it shows that they've, you know, they still have maintained that uh, spark and that, that punch that they had all along. Yeah. And with the re-recordings too, you know, Craig Satari, he didn't play on some of these earlier ones. So I think it was a nice way to, I mean, the guy's been in the band almost 30 years now at this point, like it was kind of a nice way to incorporate him on these old tracks but yeah, sick of it all nonstop. It's actually a pretty cool record. Uh, again, usually not a big fan of the re-record, but it works. The last thing that I want to touch on about the layout is that the I don't see the star, the Rev star, on the first press of this sick of it all record. So this, it still has the New Haven address, and there's no Rev star. And the first press label, it's got the, you know, the stars in the background, but it just has the bars around the revelation. And then by 
second press, it has the Rev 3 inside the star. And it wasn't until third press that the R is inside of the star. So I'm wondering if that was like first appearance of the Rev star. Now there's one on the later pressing of the war zone. And I believe together as well. Together, it looks like they have the stars in the background and then Revelation in bars. Yeah, I don't see the, you know, the... The R in the star. Yeah, the iconic R in the star. The sick of it all. One thing about the sick of it all, too, is they couldn't keep this in stock. They were selling it like crazy. Like, this was a big seller. In fact, there's a note that was in the first, you know, in some of the first press copies uh, that's kind of funny. Um, This is, again, from a record aficionado book which if you're into what we're talking about on here and you want to take an even deeper dive, I strongly suggest you get this book and Rev HQ has it in stock. So you can get it and it goes through revelations releases up till um, 1991. So this, they put this little slip of paper in that said, sorry, sick of it all took so long. We had a lot of trouble with the pressing plan. We will never put the ad in before we have the records again. The compilation LP won't be out until February 1st, even though the Flyers is January 1st. Enjoy your record. It's our best. Thanks for getting it. So that's kind of cool. Like, so, you know, it sold a ton. Um, I don't know when it went out of print. Um, I just know that it was repressed in 1997. And to my knowledge, it's been in print ever since. Let's talk about hot tracks. My hot track is Pay the Price. I fucking love that song. It's, it was one of the songs on the In Effect video. I don't know why I like it. I just think that's my favorite song on the 7-inch. I love the bass line, like I said, on It's Clobberin' Time. You know, that's just kind of an intro. Yeah, same thing with Clobber, It's Clobberin' Time. Like, I was like, I can't pick this. It's not like, you know, it's sort of like an intro. I'll say Friends Like You. I just think... One of the things I like about Sick of It All is their lyrics are always very relatable. There wasn't that tough guy posturing that I think came with some of other bands. And granted, most of those bands were tough guys. Sick of It All was just super real to, you know, true to themselves, didn't pretend to be something they weren't. Um, and I think Friends Like You uh, is just a great anthem. It's easy to tap into that feeling, even as an adult, of like, hey, you know what? Like, you're a shitty friend like don't need you anymore you know both of all of these songs but the the two that we mentioned especially you could have gotten a dubbed copy of this seven inch on cassette from a friend who's like hey check this band out you listen to it and you didn't have to look at the lyric sheet like i would never have had to own this seven inch the vocals and the lyrics are understandable and then you could go see them live and you could sing along and you could have fun. And I think that's great. I don't think that every hardcore band has to have that, but I think that that also really helped sick of it all. And I know other people later on did that. Like hate breed always said that he wanted people to be able to understand his, the words that he was saying so that you could, you didn't have to pick up a, a book as weird as that sounds. But I think that that's, one of the things that I always appreciated about Sick of It All was that you could just learn the lyrics just by listening to it. And like Lou, I mean, you want to talk about a, a hardcore vocalist that has chops. Like he, I think it's almost deceptive. I look at him 
even though they don't sound alike, like to me, he reminds me a bit of Dwid from Integrity. Everybody can't just get up to a microphone and yell and sound like Dwid from Integrity or Lou from Sick of It All. Like that takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of practice and repetition. Um, I mean, Lou's voice is so strong. Uh, live, it comes through. Uh, he's just a great vocalist. He didn't really find his sound yet on this record. Um, I think he really started to find it by like, just look around, you know, we stand alone EP. And then of course, scratch the surface. Like then he really became the Lou that like everybody knows now, but he even to me, I mean, I think he sounds great on the seven inch. I don't know what he's talking about, but again, a lot of times we're our own worst critic. You know, it's sort of like looking back at an embarrassing childhood photo or something, but for me, what a great record. Now, is it even is it futile at this point to ask if either of us have seen them live? Oh, geez. I couldn't even tell you how many times I saw them live. Uh, incredible live band. And I think the last time they played California was probably, you know, it's in the within the last two years, still playing larger or more notable venues like the Roxy. You know, they weren't just playing some fucking warehouse or some shit place like they're still important and people are still coming out maybe people that don't go to every show people that's kind of a nostalgia thing or whatever but uh they're still drawing crowds and i I think that's admirable yeah they're still drawing crowds and they're still fantastic live again regardless of what you think about their new material doesn't matter they play super tight they usually know their audience. So I know they actually talk in the book about how, you know, I think we in, in the United States, we all lean towards those first couple records. So when they play here, they're mainly playing that stuff. But if they play in Europe, they can play a smattering of songs. They can play stuff from the last couple albums and kids go nuts. So if I'm reaching for a sick of it all record in 2020 to listen to, I'm going to pick up We Stand Alone on cassette. That's what because it has like bonus stuff. It's got live stuff on the B side, and I have an affinity for it and some some fondness and some good memories attached to that. And that's not to say that those newer records aren't good and I wouldn't like them, but that's what I'm grabbing for. And a lot of people that stretch from like we stand alone, scratch the surface, built to last. That's kind of like a real iconic time. That's like mid '90s, late '90s. You know, we were all in our teens and and 20s getting into that stuff and so it does have a lot of good memories for a lot of people i think for me if i had to reach for and i feel like we can we can talk about this because this is sadly the only sick of it all record that we're gonna you know they'll get mentioned again on the way it is comp but that's it like they're not they don't have any more revs releases for me i feel like just look around is mine which has the song we stand alone on it that seems to be the one that I feel like they really like, I think the first album's excellent too. And the seven inch too, and scratch the surface even. But if I had to pick gun to head, just look around, which then sort of leads to my next question. Is this seven inch essential under the new guidelines we said, which doesn't mean you have to own a rare pressing, but just the music itself. Is it essential? I I would say 100%. This is an essential record to own if you are not only into revelation records but if you are into hardcore 
you know, I know that there's so many different subgenres and this and that, but if you really like hardcore, I'm not saying you have to listen to this, you have to like it, but I think that this is an essential hardcore record and an essential Revelation Records release. That's my take. I agree. I think it's not only just essential to the the pantheon of hardcore and New York hardcore, um, it's essential to Sick of It All because this is their first real release. They re-recorded, you know, songs on the first album, you know, songs from this on the first album. Uh, they still play some of these songs. Um, and it, it's also just essential for Revelation because it was, I think, their first really big seller. Not that the other two releases didn't sell, but this one kind of kept them on their toes. Um, totally essential. Cool. This was a, a great record to review and talk about. Um, it's an important record. It's a fun record. It's a cool record. And on our next episode, we're going to start getting into, I refer to lovingly as starter pack hardcore, because I think that when you get into hardcore, one of the things that you should start listening to, especially at when we were young was, is Gorilla Biscuits and the Gorilla Biscuits seven inch. It's, it's a good listen. And uh, I think we'll have a lot to talk about over the next um, yeah, I'm, few releases. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited to dig into that one. That was my introduction to uh, the world of the Gorilla Biscuits. And it'll be fun to you know, listen to it with a different kind of ear. Talk yeah, like a, like a critical ear and not necessarily yeah. just like, oh, I'm just going to put this record on or whatever. Right. You know, we've, over the past few weeks, we've put a lot of work into stuff behind the scenes for upcoming episodes and uh, we're excited to be able to expand and grow and you know hone in on on some of the professional type aspects of these recordings and um, I'm, I'm stoked for some of these some of these things that we got coming up yeah I think people are going to really enjoy uh, what we have coming up, and that's that's all I'll say for yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, little, well, not vague booking, vague potting. Mm-hmm. Little vague potting. Yeah. So, man, thanks to everyone who has submitted photos so far. Uh, everyone at Revelation Records who has, you know, taken the time to help us, and everyone that's subscribed, listened, download. Uh, we're still. Like we're not trying to to like fake humble our way through this, but every day we talk to each other and we are blown away by the reception to this. And I have my fa- my final shout out, my final bit at bow, the man Jason Mazzola, who has he's like behind the scenes, he is the our you know our third wheel. And I mean that in the most loving way. He's uh, we we couldn't be doing what we're doing today without Jason Mazzola. Agreed. And and I'll sh- also shout out uh, Tim McMahon. I know we did before. Yeah. Um. But I think you know I I told them I said I said whether you guys won or not, you're you're part of the team. Yeah. Uh, both those guys, you know, Tim and yeah. sending cool pictures and just being sort of like a consultant and giving uh you know some feedback and then yeah. of course Jason with the design. So we're really thankful for everybody. And uh, I, I think people are going to really enjoy the next couple weeks. Yeah, sounds great. All right, we'll see you all next week. Thanks, Greg. Bit of bow. 
Hey, this is Sam Sumataro. I sing for a band called Drain from Santa Cruz, California. I'm here to tell you about our debut record called California Cursed, now available on Revelation Records. This summer, we're going on tour with Go to revelationrecords.com for more. And here's four seconds of what we sound like. I'm stoked to be part of the Revelation family. Let's take the remaining 26 seconds to dive into what it means and what's up at Rev. Revelation kicked things off in New York City in 1987 with Warzone, Lower East Side Crew. After that, Gorilla Biscuits, Youth of Today, Judge, Inside Out, Chain of Strength, and many more. The times changed in the early 90s, and Rev was there with artists like Quicksand, Texas is the Reason, Far Side, and Into Another. There's new music from World Be Free, Constant Elevation, Urban Sprawl, Dare, and reissues of the classics from Inside Out, Side by Side, and Orange 9mm. Check out the Spotify playlist series. Uh! It's all at revelationrecords.com. 